This is Wildcat Country. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A Athletics. It's up Welcome to another edition of Wildcat Country, Eric Cohen and Shane Dale on what's going to be a fun week for all of us with the Wildcats women's basketball team making it to the NCAA tournament as a three seed, taking on Stony Brook next Monday. We will talk about that later in the show, and we are very lucky to be joined by Sam Thomas uh, later on, who is one of the leaders on the uh, women's basketball team, to preview their NCAA tournament run. Also on the show today, Shane, uh, you're going to give your roundup for other sports, and we'll talk men's basketball and and all of that, but it's football time. Spring practice starts next week, and uh, really an awesome guy, Heath Bray, who has a wonderful story from your first book, going to join us in the first segment and tell us uh, not only that story, but plenty of other ones. And I'm sure he is going to be quite the uh, the entertaining guest. But Shane, uh, the, the, I guess the story we're going to start with today is football and spring practice starting next week. But the one thing that stood out to me, Jedfish has changed the culture here so much so that now things are more different than I expected. Explain. Yeah. Well, he he kept his promise the, when he was first hired that uh, everything's going to be open, uh, open practices, open to the public. And beyond that, uh, which I, I I think that's a great idea and a complete 180 from his predecessor, because uh, Kevin Sumlin was probably more restrictive in that regard um, than any coach in recent memory down in Tucson. But beyond that, player availability and coach availability is going to be a lot more enhanced, put it that way. Uh in the Kevin Sumlin era, it would be, okay, this assistant coach is available today only, you know, maybe once every couple of weeks, or this player is available today. And there were never an opportunity, never opportunities for one-on-one interviews. It looks like that's changed and, and for the better, and which it should. Uh, so you're going to have more access, more media access, more uh, access for fans. And the, the reason the media access matters as well is because it allows – media either in in written form or video form or hopefully in podcast form tell stories of these players and help the public get to know them and connect with them in ways we were not able to do during the Kevin Sumlin era so I'm very happy about that it's a no-brainer really because we need to reconnect this team with the community and I'm happy that Jedfish sees the importance of that he gets it and and he has continued to deliver in his three months, his, almost three months as Arizona's head coach, not only building the staff and the culture, um, he's just, they're doing cool things with that team. They're, they're trying to, you know, let's say, hey, you are at a school with a football tradition. You know, it's not a great one. You know, it's not, it's not Ohio State. It's not Michigan. It's not Notre Dame. But there is tradition here. And by the way, as I've said this before, and I'm sure I'll reference it a hundred times uh, as we go along in this podcast. Which school in the state of Arizona has most recently been to what is considered now a New Year's Six Bowl game? Arizona in 2014. The last New Year's Six game uh, that ASU has been to or went to was 1997, the Rose Bowl against Ohio State. Yeah, 96 season, which they lost. And we lost to Boise State. Okay, fair. But 
I mean, that is, you know, 18 years later. ASU has not been to a major bowl game since uh, January 1st, 1997. Think about that. It's crazy. Do you remember, Eric, I mentioned a few months ago, I feel like there are four tiers of college football. Yeah. And I want to go over them quickly again because I want to see what you think as far as where Arizona can get eventually under Jed Fish. Okay. Yeah, the four tiers. Okay, the top tier is your perennial national championship contenders. You know, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, maybe throw Oklahoma in there. The teams that you expect to contend every single year. You have your second tier which to me are the perennial top 25 teams. You know, maybe think Iowa or Texas A&M, teams that may contend for a championship every so often. But, you know, in a given year, you know, maybe they're contending for a New Year's Six game, and that's probably about it. But still, they're, they're, they're up there. You think of them when you think of good college football teams. Third tier are teams, in my opinion, that are typically around 500, that hover around 500, that are bowl eligible more often than not, or at least very close to it, maybe crack the top 25 every so often. And then you have your final tier, your your bottom tier, which is, you know, like Kansas, you know, maybe the last few years, Oregon State, and now I would say Arizona, the last few years, they're typically below 500 toward the bottom of the conference. So Arizona obviously has worked its way from maybe borderline tier two, tier three, um, at the peak of the Stoops slash Rich Rod era, all the way back down to tier four. And I think that realistically, Arizona football can get maybe as high as tier two. And when I say tiers, I'm thinking of, you know, being competitive for at least three years in a row in a certain category, like being in the top 25 for three years in a row would put you in tier two. I think Arizona flirted with that during the Stoops, some or not Stoops, someone or the Stoops Rich Rod era before kind of crashing all the way back down. So where do you think Arizona could end up best case scenario uh, a few years down the road under Jetfish? All right. We're talking about just power five schools. We're not talking about the Central Floridas. We're, we're leaving them you out could, of this. You could throw in some of the non-Power 5. Like, you know, you have your, you know, Boise State and a few others. But, yeah, I would say for the most part you're talking Power 5. Of, of the biggest 70 schools, let's say, in college football, Arizona is in the bottom five right now of that, of where their program is? going but Under Kevin Singh, they're in the bottom I, five. I think they have to be, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where do I think they can get? Um, if you say Tier 2 is like fringe top 25 or, you know, I, I would say, yeah, bottom of Tier 2. I think Arizona consistently should be uh, towards the top of tier three. That That's what I want to see. Um, you know, every now and then you'll peak. I mean, we saw the Wildcats, I think, a couple times in the last uh, 12 years or so that they hit the top 10, which was nice. Uh, we saw that, I think, back in 2010 under Mike Stoops. They, they got to number nine. Um, and then they were uh, in the top 10 when they played ASU in 2014 before that bowl game. Outside of that, I mean, that's every every 10 years you figure they get to the top 10. That'd be great. Generally, though, this is not a team that's going to compete with Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame on a year on a year in year out basis. Uh, this is a team that should, you know, lower level tier two, upper level tier three. I think would be a reasonable expectation for Arizona under Jed Fish if he's as good a coach on the field as he has been thus far off of it. And I think what's going to make him a great coach if he's able to to accomplish that is kind of like, and I hate referencing ASU in any way, but I think Herm Edwards is smart enough to know what he doesn't know and let his coaches coach and delegate that authority. Jed Fish has to do that. He has to recognize, okay, I'm the leader of this program. I'm the overseer of this program, but I need to let Chuck Cecil do his job. I need to let Jimmy Doherty do his job. And I think the assistants are much more important on the collegiate level, not maybe much more, but definitely more important on the collegiate level than on the pro level. 
So, and he's brought in some fantastic coaches. Uh, and so that's going to be important, especially as they're trying to rebuild because they're not going to get a bunch of four or five star guys right off the bat. They might not even get a bunch of four star guys a few years down the road if they're successful. They have to be able to coach those three star guys up. And that's something that PJ Johnson told us a few, a couple months ago now that was missing under Kevin Sumlin. Someone was used to, to getting those four star guys, five star guys at Texas A&M and, and have that, that talent kind of already preloaded, so to speak, uh, with these players. And at Arizona, he's not going to get the level, those level of guys, and they weren't coached up. And I think that's something that Jeff Fish is going to have to recognize. Okay, even if we're successful, we're not – even in the Pac-12, we're not USC, we're not Oregon. We might not even be ASU. We're going to have to find those three-star guys who are hungry, who are, are open to being coached and open to getting better, open to having the proverbial foot stuck up their rear end, and – ready to to get to that next level. And I think the fact that they brought on some NFL coaches, coaches with NFL experience as well, including himself, will help in terms of finding guys who want to get that next level because they know, okay, if I come to Arizona, I have the opportunity to get to where I need to be to get to the NFL because I'm not there yet. Well, another guy that, that just transferred in today, Shane, uh, Alex Lyons, uh, tight end from UNLV, uh, mm-hmm. is, is coming down here. He was a, a solid three-star prospect out of Higley High up in the Phoenix area and decided to, you know, leave UNLV after one season to come to Arizona. And that's great. I mean, this is another in-state kid that Kevin Sumlin missed on, albeit Sumlin didn't use the tight end that much. But now having him with Bryce Wolma, this is something not only from a blocking perspective, but in the middle middle of the field, it helps the quarterbacks. Uh, Having two solid college tight ends definitely cannot hurt. And it's encouraging to see Arizona going to go to a more of a pro-style system and I think that is uh, that's encouraging for us. I'm excited to see what spring practice looks like, and going forward over the next four or five weeks, we will talk about it extensively. Next, probably longer than that, uh, leading up to the spring game. But coming up next, Heath Bray, who played with the Wildcats from '88 to '92, and is quite the storyteller, as we found out in Shane's first book, Territorial, is going to join us to tell us his thoughts on jetfish and probably something about ASU's colors here on Wildcat Country. Really excited for this one, Shane. One of the most well-connected Wildcat football alumni, Heath Bray, joining us. Uh, 1988 to 1992, played for the Wildcats and has stayed plenty involved since then. So, Heath, my first question is, describe the difference thus far between the Jed Fish administration and Kevin Sumlin when it comes to yours and the player, former players' involvement. Well, I mean, I think that it's been well-documented on a lot of media um, that – the uh, encouragement initially to uh, engage the players was top down and it came from fish completely different than someone. And, you know, to, to give it some context, um, you know, when, when Kevin was hired, if you'll remember the same time that Herm was hired up in the issue and I work with um, a guy who's one of my partners and he's an issue guy and they're big boosters. And, and he was convinced that we got the better end of that deal that they were there hiring some NFL retread and you guys got the hot guy. And I'm looking through the, you know, reading the tea leaves going, you know, the guy went 27 and 25 in the SEC when he was at Texas A&M. Well, yeah, but he's a great recruiter. Okay. Well, they spent $700 million on their facilities when he was there. I mean, I, I think that my mother could recruit to that. 
And then when he got here, um, I was one of the guys that was uh, in the room when he would uh, the press conference. There was 25 of us, I think. And I'm standing there and we Kevin comes by and shakes all our hands and we go out and we have some lunch and have a have a cocktail. And and then I played in a golf foursome with him. And guys, I'm at a seven on seven tournament with my son last spring. And my son is a player of the tournament. So he's a guy. Eighth grade, but still a guy, you know, potentially the future. Well, I'm standing there and I'm six foot five and I'm so I'm a big guy. And Kevin walks by and I'm like, hey, Kevin, how you doing, man? Good to see you. And he stuck out his hand. And he said, Kevin Sumlin, nice to meet you. Now, <laughs> if he's doing that to me, he's doing it to everybody. Now, I'm not Teddy Bruschi. I understand that. I'm not on ESPN. And, you know, I, I didn't win the Allen Trophy like Wal- Rob Waldrop. But I play golf with a guy, for God's sakes. Contrast that with the fish. Now, he's been hired. We were made promises by Hickey initially. And I have a, an, I had an opportunity to talk to Dave a couple of times prior to the hire, one-on-one, after the hire. And there were promises made that you guys, we're going to hire an Arizona guy. You guys are going to be involved. This is going to be a new way to go. And then they hire Fish. And it was at that point, it was damage control because it was a borderline revolt of the ex-players because the guy had no U of A ties. And I was one of the guys that was still being very supportive. I was like, guys, we're not in that room. I've been in rooms when coaches are hired. I coached at Arizona for two years and at Oklahoma for a year when I got done playing. I know what those – you don't know what, 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 what is going on in that private meeting. And I said, we've got to give it time. And the first thing he does is hire Ricky Hunley and Chuck Cease. Then he does the Zoom calls with us. And then I've, I've, done, I've had an opportunity to talk to him one-on-one about three or four times. Probably one of the, I, I, I think it's probably the same way a lot of people start to believe about Herm a couple of months into it. Didn't like him initially, didn't like the hire. The, I, we don't know where we're going. And then three months down the road, you know, everybody starts getting on board and then he starts winning ball games. And it's just, a, it's a, I think he's an extremely popular coach. And I was one of the guys that thought he was excellent the day they hired him. I think that, um, there's a concerted effort by not only Fish, but by Dave Hickey. Um, I can't speak for Dr. Robbins. I've never met the man. I, well, I've met him, but I've never, I've never had a one-on-one with him other than cocktail party thing. Um, so what my, my deal is this, is that those guys are engaged in getting back. I'll give you a good example, guys. Do you know what they did in the stadium the other night? I don't, actually. They took the team out set up tables on the field and watched the Fiesta Bowl from 93. Is that right? On the big screen. I didn't know that. What they're trying to do is they're trying to say, all right, we're going to capture a recognition of what made us great during the 90s. And I think that it's they're embracing the history that, that Arizona has. And, I mean, you know, we're not Michigan. But there is some significant periods of – tremendous football and by incorporating Rob into the uh, Rob and Teddy into the coaching deal for the spring ball, that's going to be hilarious and getting us down there and getting us involved is, you know, I remember when I, when I played and I was a freshman and we can, we go to the game and you look over the sideline, I I tap my butt and be like, man, that's Ricky Hunley over there. Look over on the sidelines, Ricky, Ricky Hunley standing right there. And he used to be the, 
kick-ass thing for us. You go to practice, you'd be like, that's, that's Cecil. I'm like, yeah, I know Cecil. He recruited me. Come on over. Let me introduce you. I'll be a big-time freshman guy. Um, but the thing is, though, having those guys around was huge. Kevin ignored all of it. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to why that was. But the bottom line is it came off as lazy. And it came off as I really don't give a darn, you know. The point I'm making is, is that uh, it, it's your question, guys, was the difference. Apples and oranges. I, I know uh, Jed Fish reiterated this week, Heath, that uh, football practices are going to be open to the public. Uh, something that did not happen under his predecessor. There's going to be a lot more media accessibility with players and coaches. Again, you know, light years from what happened under the Kevin Sumlin era. What are your thoughts on that? And just considering how Arizona football is perceived and, and, and accepted by Tucson, how important is it to have that, that outreach to fans and that, that openness in terms of connecting the community with the team? Well, I think it is one of the, it's one of the things that makes the experience in Tucson different. I mean, when we were in school, I think there's, you know, I had 700,000 people in Tucson, whatever. And at that time, it was the nation's biggest college town. It's the biggest, most populated city that didn't have any professional sports. Right. I think you're right about that. I think it still is. That in itself, in and of itself, is, is some objective evidence as to the importance of that university and that community. But what you don't recognize a lot of times is the importance to the university of that community. The team means a lot to the community, but the community means everything to the existence and the success they have there. Just look at the basketball program. I mean, that's been, I mean, I remember I was a football player and I was, I was, you know, I could get any bar in Tucson. I couldn't get in a basketball game. Um, you know, I mean, that was, and you can see what happens when you get the Tucson people behind you. And when I played, I mean, I remember we used to get, we used to get just bummed out when we didn't have 50,000 people there. I mean, we saw, I think my senior year, we sold out all but one of our games. And so when you're, I, I was talking to Brandon Sanders, who's a, who's a, a good buddy of mine. He's on the staff there. And I was like, listen, if you guys show the Fiesta Bowl, that's fantastic. I said, you guys need to go and find a game. When we beat number two, Oregon, when we beat number one, Washington, where it's played in Tucson, where they see what that stadium looks like when it's freaking rocking. Play the 2014 when we won the, the Pac-12 South. Let them see, because you haven't seen that thing rocking in five, six years. Nope. And in the last 10, it's been a handful of times. Rob Waldrop and I went to the homecoming game last year. We're fortunate enough to sit with Seth Dempsey and his wife, June, in and, and the uh, athletic director's box. And we look out in the stadium, and, I, guys, there's a hand grenade could go off in multiple places in that stadium and not hurt anybody. I mean, we're talking huge swaths of empty seats. And that's never been the case. Even on – I mean, we would play – It'd be 110 degrees. We played UCLA in 19, 1989, I think. They, it got moved up, and we played at noon in mid-October. It was like 106 at kickoff. Place was packed. Yeah, and, and, yeah and that's it. He, and that's it. He, I mean, when, when you think about it, and I've been going to games regularly since the early 2000s, and there were a few years where we had where it was rocking and it was great, but I wasn't there in the, in the early 90s when you were playing – and watching the the film, I mean that Washington game. What what year was that? Ninety was that ninety two? That was my senior year. Yeah, I mean that because they, they play that on Pac twelve Network and on it's been on ESPN Classic. I mean it's it's night and day, as you said, compared to what it is now or what it's been recently. It's crazy. 
Well, they interviewed me for that for that particular game. The Pac-12 Network did their production that game, and it was me and Rob Waldrop, and I think Tony Bowie were the three guys they had for us. Um, and you talk about you know the difference between that game. I mean, in Tucson, one of the things that's always funny, even if it's a sellout, there's only about thirty thousand people there at kickoff because they are slow to get in the stadium. They're not like True. Penn State when they go and they sit in their seat for an hour and watch warmups. We played Washington. We went and warmed up. And um, I was a team captain and Ty Parton and uh, George Malaulu. And um, we come off the field and we do our pregame thing. And it got real quiet in there. And the, the uh, referees come in and call for captains. When they did, the place went bananas. And so we're all pumped up. And we're going to – and our locker room used to be in the – what would that be? That would be the northwest corner of the stadium. And usually when we walk out for captains, we walk out and there's 25, 30,000 people in there. We've turned the corner and there were 60, 59,800 people rocking already. I mean, it was an electricity that was, that was absolutely, and I grew up in the South. My father coached football at Wake Forest. I, I went to every, I watched Lawrence Taylor play for UNC when my dad coached against him. I mean, we went to Clemson with 82,000 people. Boomer Sison up in Miami. I mean, we had a, we, it was a great ACC experience I had as a kid. I'm telling you guys, that day in Arizona Stadium was one of the most electric days I've ever witnessed on anything. That means that we can do it. We can do that. Have we done it very often lately? No. As recently as 2015, I would say. You remember College Game Day came uh, in 2015 against UCLA, and the place was packed. And it was, I wasn't there for it, but even you could tell on TV it was rocking. It was rocking. It was uh, so much fun. It was a great experience. And then Josh Rosen just torched him. And I think yeah. that game, uh, and Heath, you'd probably agree, that was probably the end of, of Arizona. That you, you, you built it up to that after 2014, and then since then it hasn't been the same. Yeah, and I mean, my parents came out, and, my, and again, my father's a college football coach. He coached me um, in high school. And they came out for the game that we played um, to win the Pac-12 South. I believe it was UCLA, wasn't it, in 2014? That last game, I don't know who. It was It was against ASU. ASU. Oh, of course. My fault. Of course it's ASU. UCLA had to lose. Yeah, in order UCLA to had to lose. That's, that's, that's where UCLA is integrated with this. Okay. Yep. So my dad and my mom, I had season tickets for 20 years, um, which I gave up, by the way, two years ago. After the someone thing, I was like, mm, I'm out. Um, but – me and my mom, my dad, my two sons, my wife, um, and my two stepkids, we're all sitting together. And my father turns to me and he goes, son, this is one of the loudest places I've ever been in my life. He said, this is one of the craziest experiences ever. And coming from him, you know, that, that's something that's crazy. Now, you guys sitting up in the stands and me now sitting up in the stands, it's an awesome experience when that happens. You have no idea what it's like when you're between those lines and it's happening. When you look up and you see these people going absolutely bananas when you get three yards up the middle, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it's, and we can do that. I think that the, I think that that's something that we all want it to happen because we love the U of A, or except for you, Shane. Um, what? Because <laughs> we love the U of A. I'm wearing but, the colors right now. As we're I know, I'm just, I'm just giving you grief. All uh, right, you better be. We all do that because we love it. I believe that there's an inherent necessity from a business standpoint for the athletic department to love. And so now you've got, you know, some symmetry of, of need. And I think that, uh, you know, having the, 
it sounds ridiculous. Why would you take the whole team out and put a bunch of tables out there and watch some big screen? Man, do you know what? That's got to be one of the coolest things I've ever heard a coach doing, especially a new coach, especially he's trying to give credit to Dick Tomey era stuff, which is a long time ago, guys. Yeah. Well, and it just goes to show that it can be done, like you said, and it's been done before. And uh, speaking of which, before while we have you, Heath, because I, you and I talked probably a good decade ago right. from my my first book on the issue of a rivalry, and you've told me some great stories. I wanted to ask you to re- recount this one, the nineteen eighty nine game in Tempe, where ASU comes out and, we- and is wearing those yellow uniforms. All right, yes. Yeah, Tell me about what, what's going through your head when <laughs> when you and your teammates see those. I love the story. Tell it to yeah. us now, viewers. Please. Well, I grew up where we have, you know, Duke, North Carolina, Clemson, South Carolina is a big deal. Auburn, Alabama is a big deal. Um, you'd even watch the Florida, Georgia, you know, world's largest cocktail party. I mean, there's some great rivalries I grew up with. And, I, and I've been to a bunch of these games. I didn't know beans about Arizona um, when I came out here. I came out here because I came out in January. It was 75 degrees. We hung out by the pool with girls for two days. And I was like, I'm there. I'm out. So I didn't know anything about the, the context. 88, we went through the ASU-U of A deal. And I didn't understand what it was. And after going through that game, I was like, holy smokes, this is this is the real deal. So in 89, now I'm playing. 88, I was a spectator wearing a uniform. And so we get up there in 89, and we go warm up. And the stadium is a very impressive place to be as a player. When you're walking around the field, I mean, I bet that year we went to the Rose Bowl, the Coliseum. Husky Stadium. I mean, I've been to some really, really beautiful, great, big places, but Sun Devil saying something about it, the way it's shaped, it's enclosed, it's tall. And back then, you know, it was completely enclosed horseshoe. And then the other side wasn't enclosed, but they had the the uh, U-shaped walkways and stuff. So it was, it was yeah. a area. Yeah. So it was impressive from the field. We warm up, they're in there. I mean, and that was one of the things this mustard and rust thing started. Their helmets aren't yellow. They're short bush orange. If you're, if you're looking at them and you hold up one of their helmets next to the short bus, they're the same color. It's amazing. And so we're out there. I'm like, these guys have the ugliest uniforms in North America. And they had their rust-colored shirts on that looked like, you know, dried blood. It was just, just nasty brownish, just awful. And I'm like, those poor bastards have to come out and play in that shit. So, excuse me. So... We go in the locker room, you know, and we're dressed white shoes, white pants, white shirts, white helmet. We're just colors of the American flag. We're America's team. We go in the locker room. We're like, this is just a joke. So then we come back out, and I'm we're waiting in the tunnel. And the tunnel at that time that we came out of would have been on the northwest corner. That's the, the visitor's tunnel comes in. They'd come in on the uh, south side or the west side. So we come out. I'm getting pelted with stuff. Um they threw a full beer beer can, came out of the stands, shipped me in a helmet, you know, unopened. Um, just horrible. We come out Seems there. Seems like I'm, a waste of a beer, you know. It's just, well, just yeah, I don't, it, trust me, if I'd been red shirt year when I was on the sidelines, I probably would have picked it up and taken it with me on the sidelines. <laughs> um, and if you know me better, you know that's entirely capable of being true. Um, so we get, we get ready to go out, and, and we have to uh, take the field first. We run out, and then – there's this is another thing, guys. This is the largest crowd ever to see a sporting event in Arizona until the Super Bowl. The next two, three, four, well, seven years later, 73, almost 74,000. And they're going bananas because their guys are in the tunnel getting ready to come out. 
And these idiots come out in mustard, mustard, and mustard. And their jerseys are a gold color. And their helmets are the short bus orange. And they don't match. And 74,000 people go, oh. And we just look at each other going, we are going to beat the crap out of these guys today. And we just proceeded to thump them like drums. It was awesome. You know, it's too bad. I just Googled those uniforms, Heath. And Paul Justin, who I believe, you know, is yep. ASU's quarter. I think he played yep. in that game. So his rookie card, score 1991 rookie card, is from that game, wearing the the <laughs> gold uniform. Differences? Am I lying? I can see the difference, and you are not lying. You can look at this, and the helmet is definitely a different color than the jersey. Not even close to the same color. If you look at the helmet alone, is that not the same as the one that says Scottsdale Unified School District when it comes to pick up your kids in the front of your house? <laughs> I mean, I have, to, I have to double check that. I have to double check that. However, trust me, I've seen it up close. How much? How much do you hate ASU? Well, I'm already here. My uh, stepdaughter's at ASU. Okay. Um, I, 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 it was bad enough when I was younger that I went home for. It was after I was done playing. I went home for Thanksgiving one year. We were playing, you know, the Friday afterwards. Um, I got home. My mom had to leave, go to the the Walmart and buy a small TV and put it in my sister's old room and kicked me out of the house and put me in there because I was disrupting everyone because um, I was cussing at the TV and causing a scene. But it's, it's a lot better now. I mean, one of my good friends is Juan Roque, who plays up at ASU. Um, he and I have been buddies for years. We did a TV spot together, and we've done about three or four together afterwards. Um, and it's just one of those things. It's good to have a rival, um, and it's good to have one that just makes it so easy to pick on. God, they make it easy, man. My poor wife, she'll come out wearing some ASU stuff, and I'm just sitting there going, I am so lucky that I don't have to wear that crap the rest of my life. Like she does, but she's got a son at U of A, so now she wears U of A stuff, and it's wonderful seeing a Sun Devil in a in a U of A shirt, like your buddy uh, Dale up there. That's right. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> uh, my last question for you, Heath. Uh, yeah. We had Joe Tafoya on here probably a couple of months ago, and we asked him, "All right, Joe, what's what are your expectations for Jed Fish in year one?" And he said, "Anything short of six and six in a bowl game, and it's a disappointment." I, yeah, and it's I think it's crazy. Do you agree with that, though? But what we want, I'm, I, I completely agree with it. And Joe is Joe is probably one of the most level-headed dudes you're going to talk to. I love Joe. He's awesome. The thing about it is it's unfair. Is a guy's got to come in and he's got to figure out what he's got. If anybody out there is listening, cooks. If you walk in the kitchen and they say, what's in the cupboard? You really have, you're tied to what you have unless you want to go out and get something else. So it's, it's a very difficult thing. I think that one of the things you have to tie in there is how are they playing? One of the things that I will tell you guys, whoever you talk to, I don't care if we go winless as long as we bust our ass, as long as we fly around, we make mistakes full speed, we're mean, we're angry, we play, we come, we arrive at the meeting in a pissed off mood, That it, wins will come. That's what has been a void. These guys don't play hard, and that's top down. So I think that if we see Fish's impact immediately, because I guarantee you Ricky Hundley's impact and Brandon Sanders and Chuck Cecil, and I know some of the other guys, this, this Brown guy that they hired, we did, I did, I've done two uh, Zoom calls with him 
you want to talk about a dude I'd love to play for now. Yeah. This he's got his stuff together. So if we when when we're talking about, you know, if you just give a finite record, I think that it, that that's something that everybody wants to hear, but it, the guys that really want to see, they want to see us back to being just we had we had a club my senior year just real quick. You got to hear this. We had a club. We had a freshman named Teddy Bruski, a freshman named Brandon Sanders, a, a senior or junior named Ty Parton, junior named Heath Bray, and uh, Brant Boyer and a couple of other guys. And we caught, we formed, we had certificates and everything, and you had to earn it in. It was called the Asshole Club. And that means that you were the guy that would take the shot that guys normally would pull off of because you would come to the ball angry every single time. And that was something that we, even to this day, we've got this little handshake we do. You know, we high five with a little rolled up sphincter look on our finger. <laughs> and that's how we, that's how we, when I see Teddy Bruschi next time, it'll be the first thing we do because it, it was so important to us because we had guys that, I mean, you have to understand guys like Teddy Bruschi and Brandon Sanders. And I'd like to think myself and Ty Parton and Jimmy Hopkins and Brent Boyer, Sean, Sean Harris and Tony, Bo I mean, these guys arrived angry and we got after people. I mean, you, we, we played the number one team in the country, Miami, in 92. 91, I started against them at middle linebacker. The next year, I started against them at quarterback. That's a little tale about my career. We play them in 92. They had negative 33 yards rushing for the game. And I was a defending national champions, I believe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Gino Toretta, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. He and I I'll tell you, you later, he's like, I've never – he said, i tell you what, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. He said, I've never seen anything like it. One of the great storytellers we've had on our podcast yet, Heath Bray, thank you for joining us. I, I'm going to tell you what, we are going to have you back on again and again because we could go on for hours uh, telling stories from your from your playing days and afterwards, and I would love to hear them. So uh, right. thank you so much for joining us, and we'd love to have you on again. You guys are awesome. I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, go, go poke the bear up there in Tempe. Get them all riled up so we can get them to have a nice frothy deal when we play them in the fall. Shane, that was a blast with Heath Bray. I mean, this is a this is a guy that we have to have on in the summer when it's the doldrums of sports when we're getting ready for football season to come about because we could sit there for hours with Heath Bray and just talk and hear some of these stories. We just scratched the surface with him. I, I didn't even get to the uh, his Richard Dice story. Uh, Richard Dice basically beating ASU on one leg in '92. We'll we'll have to have him on and we'll have to try to get Richard Dice on as well to tell that story. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I talked to him for my book uh, a good ten years ago now, and I remember when I first reached out to U of A to see if some alumni are in, would be interested in talking with me, um, basically the, who, the alumni director there sent an email out to alumni and said, Hey, this guy's writing a book. If you want to get in touch with them, send him an email. And so the name Heath Bray shows up in my inbox with the subject line mustard and rust. So like I knew right away that was going to be a great interview. And Heath was one of the best interviews for my book. And I'm glad people are actually able to hear him as opposed to just seeing it written down because he's a great storyteller. He's as passionate about the rivalry and about Arizona football as anyone. And I'm glad that he and the rest of the alumni are finally valued more or valued as much as they, as they really, they should have been all along. And by the way, that story that about Kevin, someone just not remembering him. Oh, it's, doesn't that, doesn't that say everything? You want to say more, but we'll just, 
you know, with all due respect oh. to someone, we'll just we'll just move on. That was yeah. that was hard to hard to listen to, honestly. Uh, and if I were if I was Heath, no wonder he pulled his season tickets after that. I I probably would have too. And you know how much of a diehard for uh, football I am. But we're going to talk some basketball. But before that, it's one of my favorite segments on the show weekly. It's Shane's wrap up of what's going on in all of the Arizona sports. Yeah, we got a lot of basketball talking about, so I'm going to try to make this quick. Uh, Arizona baseball still ranked in the top 25 in most polls, but they split a four-game series or a two-two-game series, really, this past weekend, two with Air Force, two with Wichita State. Wildcats are averaging 9.3 runs per game, which is tied for seventh nationally, but they're allowing 5.6 runs per game, which is just 136th nationally out of 272 teams, right at the at, right at the midway point. So they're 12-4 and four heading into the Pac-12 play. Uh, they got a three-game series at UCLA, number 11 UCLA, uh, beginning on Friday. So good test to open their uh, their conference schedule. Softball team has lost three of its last five, uh, including two or three uh, against number 15 Florida State last week. They only scored three runs in those three games combined. On the plus side, Mariah Lopez uh, pitched a three-hit shutout in their lone win in that series, uh, and she was named Pac-12 uh, Pitcher of the Week. So congrats to Mariah. A uh, quick rundown of other sports. Beach volleyball team still undefeated uh, with a win over UC Davis last weekend. Go check out our interview with beach volleyball star and Tucson native Alex Parkhurst on last week's show if you haven't already. Uh, the indoor volleyball team, the non-beach variety, earned a pair of home wins over Colorado. Soccer team split a pair of matches in Oregon. They beat Oregon State 3-1 on Friday. Jada Talley, who we had a couple weeks ago on this podcast, uh, scored late in that one. But Arizona fell to Oregon a couple days later, one nothing. Uh, our women's golf team had a second-place finish at the Clover Cup in Mesa last week, its best showing of the season. And finally, uh, I want to give a shout-out to the men's tennis team, maybe the best team that we're not talking about at Arizona right now. Uh, they had won 13 straight matches. They shut out VCU last weekend. They're ranked number 15 in the country, their best ranking in almost 40 years. Now, wow. they did come up short Wednesday night, as we're, right, after we're, right before we recorded this, actually, uh, to number two, Baylor. So they lost to a very good team. It was five to two. It was a, it was a competitive series. So a uh, heck of an effort. They're moving on to face sixth ranked Texas later this week. So the men's tennis team doing some great things. Want to acknowledge that. And also want to quickly mention the women's tennis team earning the shutout win over Eastern Washington on Tuesday. Awesome. Always appreciate uh, hearing about the other sports. And I'm not going to call them the lesser sports again. Yeah. I'm going to bite my tongue about that. It's always great hearing uh, about them and and just the constant success that, that we're having and obviously baseball, softball are the biggest of those, and those teams are fun to watch as well. Uh, let's hit on a little men's basketball. The biggest news of the week, Sean Miller's status up in the air. There are rumors that he could get uh, an extension, uh, but next year is going to be a crucial year. I think right now the tea leaves say that Miller will be back next year, but that's still up in the air. One player who will not be back other than Ira Lee is Terrell Brown, who is on to something like his sixth school in six years, something crazy like I mean he's he's moved around a bit and now he's uh, going to transfer from Arizona seems like a bit of a surprise to me I don't well he also could have left he's a senior so he could have uh, called it a uh, collegiate career and moved on but he wants to play one more season and maybe just maybe showcase what he can do at the next level which which is fine it's a shame that Terrell Brown who you know he he obviously he wasn't the, the you know the most important player on the team he had some pretty good games in there and it's a shame that Arizona fans never got a chance to watch him in person you know, uh, Ira Lee, who who also is uh, is moving on. Uh, we you know, we got to see him for several years, but we didn't get to see Terrell Brown. We didn't he didn't get to have that McHale Center experience. So uh, hopefully, the rest of the team will. 
Um, hopefully we won't see any other transfers. Um, you know, we got three very good um, guards coming in uh, this next season. That's probably one of the reasons why Terrell Brown decided to move on. Uh, but yeah, it's funny because he went from a, a smaller school uh, in uh, Seattle in the WAC conference with the same as the GCU. Congrats to the Lopes, by the way, on going. Absolutely. To yep. Uh, but he was transferred from Seattle to, to Arizona to play and, and got some decent minutes, but I think he saw, okay, I might not have a great chance to play a lot of minutes uh, next season. So we decided to move on. And so uh, best of luck to him. One question that's non U of A related, but kind of relates to us uh, just a, a, about, about ASU. Do you believe Bobby Hurley will be back next year or gone? Just your opinion. You know, when, when Jalen house decided to transfer, that's, that's not a good sign, man. I don't know. I mean, I, you, you think about that and you think about, the sheer amount of turnover. I mean, the turnover at ASU is comparable to what Arizona faced last season now, and maybe even more so. No, uh, it, was, it was what what the ASU's roster next year might remind us of what we saw in 20, was it 2019 with that era where Justin Coleman was the point guard and they, they lost in the first round of the right, NC, right. of the Pac-12 tournament. That is the ASU roster I'd expect next year, I would think. Yeah, something like, like that. And you think about some of the the the, the uh, animosity between Bobby Hurley and uh, and Ray Anderson, the athletic director. Maybe yep. he wants to move on. So I don't know, and I don't obviously don't want to spend too much time talking about the Sun Devils. But you know, if, if Remy Martin leaves and Alonzo Verge leaves and Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley go pro, I don't know who's going to play for them next season. So uh, it, it, they're not in good shape right now. No, but a team that is in good shape and a team we have neglected to talk about thus far in the podcast, Shane probably the most important team that Arizona is going to have over the next uh, few weeks. And that's what the women's basketball team going to the NCAA tournament is a three seed uh, taking on Stony Brook at uh, 11 o'clock on Monday. So you can, uh, can catch that game. They will then play the winner of Rutgers and BYU. Now I'll be honest. I know nothing about these opponents that Arizona uh, will face uh, early on. And then maybe in the second round, just give me your analysis of Arizona's bracket did they get a good draw or kind of a tougher one? Well, first of all, let's talk about Stony Brook. Uh, they're very much like Arizona. Um, very slow pace offensively. One of the better defensive teams in the country. Now, Stony Brook didn't play the level of competition anywhere close to what Arizona did. But this could be like a first team to 40 points win sort of game. It's going to be – it's probably going to be ugly, methodical, if you want to call it that, if you want to put it nicely – uh, but Stony Brook's probably going to be a pain in the butt uh, defensively, but I, I think this is going to be a game where it might be close for two, maybe three quarters. And then, you know, Eric McDonald goes off and scores 10 or 12 straight points and Arizona pulls away. So, uh, it, impossible to say, but, uh, I, I think Arizona gets past Stony Brook. Hopefully at the very least they make it to the second week, uh, weekend of the women's tournament. But as far as the bracket itself, it's kind of a mixed bag because, you could argue, and I would argue, that they were paired with in their bracket with the worst one seed in NC State, but probably the best two seed in Texas A&M. I think a lot of people, including ESPN's bracketologist Charlie Cream for the women's side, thought Texas A&M was going to be a one seed and NC State was going to be a two. So that's going to be a tough matchup if they end up getting to the Sweet 16 and face off against Texas A&M, which has lost just two games all season. That's going to be tricky, but I guess on the plus side, if they can get past the Aggies, there's no reason they can't get past NC State as well and, and get to the Final Four. But so that's how, way to go. How, how confident are you that Arizona will win next Monday and Wednesday and make it to at least the Sweet 16? I will predict they'll get at least to the Sweet 16. Okay. I, I'll, I'll, give them a, I'll give them a two-to-one chance to get there. Okay. Um, I, I'm a little concerned about the lack of offense. Plus, and we're going to ask Sam Thomas about this coming up next, the fact that they will not have played a game for almost two and a half weeks 
by the time they, they sure. get on the floor on Monday against Stony Brook, because their last game was early in March on a Friday against UCLA. I mean, that's, that time off is a little bit concerning to me. I would be a little more concerned if they were playing their best basketball of the season. Because it'd be one thing if they went on and won the Pac-12 tournament and were scoring 70, 75 points a game. And then they had, you know, their their winning streak was kind of nipped on the nipped the bud because because they didn't have any games for a couple of weeks. I'm actually not not too upset about it just because maybe this is going to give them a chance to reset. Because on offense, I'm just going to be blunt about it. They've been terrible in the last few weeks. I mean, just awful. They played some good teams, but you know, they, they scored they they didn't score sixty even sixty points against Cal, which had been winless in the Pac-12 uh, until they faced them, and then they struggled against Stanford. They scored 60-something against ASU, but that's only because it went to overtime. And then against UCLA, I mean, it was it was more of the same. So, yeah, they won, They beat Washington State in there. That's that's a good win. Uh, I'm glad they at least got a three-seed and not a four. But I'll tell you what, that loss to ASU, that overtime loss to a not, to a, not very good ASU team that bumped them down from a two to a three-seed, that may end up costing them in the NCAA tournament because they, they could really have avoided – Texas A&M, like a potential one seed in Texas A&M in the Sweet 16 if they had won that game. But uh, as far as the layoff goes, I'm not terribly concerned because this might be a good chance for them to reset and work on work out some of the kinks offensively. Yeah, I really hope so. Uh, let's let's see Erie McDonald. This is her final hurrah at Arizona. And yep. I think, you know, earlier in the year, I said anything short of an Elite Eight is, is a bust. Get to the Sweet 16. Uh, get us some excitement. And, you know, these are two games you should win. They're favored. They're going to be favored. I mean, a three against a 14, and then you're playing a winner of a 6-11 game. Um, this is something you, you need to win these games. And if Arizona's going to try to take the next step under Adia Barnes, you know, winning the NIT was great. But when you're a three seed, you should be in the Sweet 16, and there are no excuses. In terms of injuries this year, everybody, as we understand, uh, and we'll ask Sam Thomas, healthy. Yep. Uh, so no issues there. You've had some time off to kind of recoup after that Pac-12 tournament and get those uh, get the rust of the ASU loss and, and that UCLA tough loss out of the system. And uh, I guess we shall see what happens. So without further ado, Sam Thomas going to join us, the glue of the Arizona women's basketball team. Hey, Shane, we have a team in March Madness this year, and it's the team we all have expected to do great things all season. That is the women's basketball team. I think they're ranked number 11 in the country right now, even though they should be higher in my opinion, but that's for that's for another day. Anyways, we are very happy to be joined by who is my favorite player on the team, who I have called the glue in her first appearance on the show, and now it's her second appearance, Sam Thomas, joining us here in Wildcat Country. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Um, big week coming up. You guys start next Monday against Stony Brook, but by the time you guys play, it will have been two and a half weeks since your last game. Is that going to be a factor, or are you you all ready to go? Um, we're ready to go. Um, we've had a two-week break before with COVID, and then we came back and played Oregon at Oregon and won by 20, so I think I think we're going to be ready. <laughs> Sam, uh, real basic question for you. And first of all, Eric doesn't say that about every women's basketball player. I do not. No, I do not. This is Thank my favorite you. player. Of course. He really, he, he really means it. Sometimes he blows smoke. This time he's not, I promise. Uh, basic question for you. Are you in your, in your team excited to play someone new after playing the same teams over and over for the last several months? I was just thinking about this last night. I was going to like, this is going to what I wanted to say in any interview that I had. I'm so excited to not play a Pac-12 team. 
We've had three non-conference games, which was nice, but it's not a full non-conference season. And then obviously last year, the NCAA tournament got canceled. So we've been playing the Pac-12 team for feels like two seasons now. So I'm so excited to play somebody new. So I full disclosure, we're recording this on Tuesday morning and the brackets were announced Monday night. So I'm not sure you had much of a chance to learn about your opponent. Uh, have you been able to, to study up on Stony Brook at all? Um, yeah, well, we have film later today, but then obviously looked a little bit on social media just to like see what, what it was about. Um, I heard they're known for their defense, so it should be a good matchup. Two teams that love defense. And I think one girl had like 30 points in their tournament championship game. So definitely have to be a lookout for that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that uh, two players scored, I think, like 80 or 90 percent of their points in, in their last game in the, in the tournament final. I feel like this is a Sam Thomas special where you get to shut one of them down. Is that is that kind of your focus going into that game? Um, yeah, I'm sure me and Ari will be matched up on one of the one of the two or both of them. So should be exciting to have that match up. So when you look at the rest of your bracket, I don't know if you if you took a, a look down. I know Shane broke it down on Twitter yesterday, which was interesting. Uh, you you get NC State is the number one seed. A and M is the two seed. You guys kind of got a pretty tough bracket. I mean. You, to the Sweet 16, you guys, that that's a pretty, you know, easier road than than you would than you would hope. And then you get to the Sweet 16, you're facing A and M, who's a top five team. Do you look that far ahead, or is it one game at a time at this point? Um, definitely one game at a time. We know after playing ASU, who we were obviously supposed to beat, um, at, we're going to give every team's best. We're going to get every team's best shot. So we're just focused on Stony Brook right now. It doesn't really matter that whatever seed they are, we're just focused on that we're playing Stony Brook and we're going to do everything that we can to win. I got to ask about the uh, the scoring in the last few weeks. I know you guys offensively just haven't been in rhythm. What What is going to be different, do you think, going into next Monday's game against Stony Brook? Um, yeah, we're definitely going to try and um, kind of move the ball more, work on our offense. Obviously, as you mentioned, we haven't played in about two weeks, so – Surprise, what we've been doing the past two weeks is working on our offense. So hopefully we get to show it against Stony Brook to see what, to show everyone what we've been working on. I know, Sam, it's been a, a something with a men's basketball team at Arizona for a long time that they always get, like you mentioned, the other team's best shot because mm-hmm. they're, they're known as one of the best teams in the country, or at least have been for so many years. Is that something you feel like Arizona women's basketball is now experiencing? Now, like the secret's out, you guys are good, and people are going to need to bring their best in order to beat you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel like every game, whether we're ranked higher or lower, every team's coming at us, which it's a hard position to be in, but it's also a fun position to be in. So you know, losing like three or three or four going into this uh, this tournament after having a lot of success earlier in the season, is, is there are there certain things that, that this team has learned over these last few weeks as far as what you need to do better or what you need to the habits you need to break. I mean, what, what's been the, I guess the theme over the last several weeks as far as, you know, working out some of those kinks. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like I said, we've been working on our offense, but I think another thing we're just focused on is only three people on the team have been to the NCAA tournament of our team. So we're just focused on having fun and trying to have the right mental state in order to make it as far as we can in this tournament. So you can work out as much as you want, put in as many plays, work on all your defense, but unless you're mentally there or like have the experience or know what you're doing, then you're not going to do well. So we're just focused on the mental part for sure. Your coach has been part of the NCAA tournament before. What, what has she told, told you as far as what to expect and maybe just getting, you know, getting the nerves out once you actually take the course, mm-hmm. especially because I know you're going to be playing in such a big venue like the Alamo Dome. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, one thing she's stressing is just having fun. She's like, forget about everything that happened in the beginning of the season or last couple games, Pac-12 tournament. We just have to focus on this one game. And so I think that's one thing that she really just wants us to do is have fun. It can be stressful, but if you're just having fun, then you're going to have to make the most of the experience. So we talked to you earlier in the season. You guys were, were crushing it and, and obviously had a great regular season. And Pac-12 Conference Tournament, is a, it was a great game against UCLA. It just came up a little bit short in the semifinals. But when you look back on the season, what are your favorite memories? What was your favorite game maybe? Was it Oregon at home or Oregon on the road? Uh, both were, were awesome to watch just from a fan's <laughs> point of view. Um, I would probably say Oregon home. Obviously, both Oregons were very nice. But I think it was our first game on ESPN. Everyone was hyping it up. We were really nervous because it was our first time playing Oregon after losing to them for so many times. So I think Oregon was definitely the most fun for this season. So uh, Sam, we know uh, Ari's going to be moving on after this season. You have the option to return. Uh, what are you doing? Do you Have you made up your mind? I have not so far. I keep weighing my options. I keep talking to my parents, like making a pros and cons list. So we're going to see how this goes. But if we win the NCAA tournament, I will for sure come back. <laughs> I'm just thinking of certain scenarios like, you know, you you, know, you get so far and then you don't quite get over the hump with it, with that. Are you picturing all the scenarios in your mind? Okay, like if we get this far, I'm definitely coming back. If we get this far, I'm definitely not coming back. Is, are you, you kind of going back and forth on that right now? Yeah, going back and forth, like where we would lose or how we would lose. Just all the different scenarios are just running through my head. So it's definitely a stressful time. So I'm just trying to focus on the one game at a time and not worry about next year. No, losing is not an option, Sam. We It's all about winning, <laughs> winning, winning. You, know, you never know in the tournament. I mean, when you get there, you, you, as you've seen you know, on the men's side and the women's side, I mean, I remember back in the day, there was a one seed on the women's side who lost in the first round. I think it was Stanford was the first time. So you just never know what's going to happen. For you, what does it mean to finally get the chance to play in the tournament, which you've been watching your whole life, men's and women's? Um, yeah, it definitely feels amazing. I mean, even just yesterday having the selection show, I think that was really fun. Everyone asked me, like, what's my favorite moment being an Arizona Wildcat? And I always say, like, either beating Stanford or the WNIT tournament. And so I think now after this tournament, my answer will be definitely the NCAA tournament. So what are the plans when you get to San Antonio? Obviously, things are a little bit weird with COVID and you got to have these mm -hmm. tests. What has, has Coach uh, Barnes told you about what's what's going on over the next week before you play? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, obviously the selection show is yesterday. So right now we know nothing except our flight is tomorrow at 8 a.m. I just got that text message. So we're just waiting to see. Obviously, it's kind of like the same um, restrictions as the Pac-12 tournament. Like, obviously, wear masks, don't go in other people's rooms, stay on your floor. But they're just trying to be um, as helpful as possible. Um, it's hard, obviously, being in, like, quarantine when you're in a hotel. So she's buying us, like, bath bombs, essential oils. We're bringing something from home that reminds us just to try and, like, make us feel just better about being in the hotel. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Sam, uh, I want to ask you about the football team because they, they gave you all a nice send-off like, before going to, uh, to Las Vegas. I, and that's something that – a lot of teams don't do. A lot of programs don't do. What did it mean for for you for you and your team to have the football team out to come out and just cheer you all on as you left? Yeah, it meant a lot, especially like for football. They're obviously like usually the big dogs on campus. Everyone always goes and supports football, so it's definitely nice to have that support. And then I'm friends with some of them on the team, and they had their little educate Wednesdays. And so the coach was just talking about like this is the team we want to be. Like we want to be in their position one day and have everyone cheering for us. So I think it was really nice of them to do that. My last question for you, Sam, and we, we really appreciate you joining us. I know you've got a hectic schedule. Uh, 
when this is done, when the season's over and, and you all are national champions in three, you know, three or four weeks, <laughs> when you're free from quarantine, what's the first thing you're going to do? And I, I'm sure, you know, it, it's been difficult in so many different ways. What are you looking forward to doing when the season is over? Oh, that's like a Super Bowl question, I feel like. <laughs> um, well, one thing, I want to get my dog back. I let my parents take her during tournament runs, so I wouldn't be distracted and worry about watching her. But then also I'm excited to just eat whatever I want and eat McDonald's. Me and Kate were roommates. We love McDonald's. So yeah. I definitely will be enjoying some McDonald's. <laughs> you, on, on your behalf, I might go get some uh, for lunch today. But uh, thank you, Sam Thomas. Best of luck to you and the team. We will be rooting you on from home. Uh, kick some butt. And we'll see you in the Sweet 16 at least next week, right? Thank you. Yes. Thanks to Sam Thomas for joining us and wish the uh, Wildcat women's basketball team all the best of luck starting early next week against Stony Brook and then and then in the uh, next game. Uh, a couple of quick notes, Shane. Uh, it came out here on Wednesday night that the uh, Arizona football spring game will kick off on Saturday, April 24th at noon uh, with guest coaches, as we've already known, Teddy Bruschi and Rob Gronkowski. The Arizona Athletics on Twitter has said they are hopeful for limited fans in Arizona Stadium with free admission. So that would be very exciting with that goes. Uh, also, I know since it's a prevailing topic, I know the Wildcats are not in March Madness this year on the men's side, which is very depressing. Don't get me wrong. I think we all can agree with that. If you were to make a pick as to who is going to win uh, the bracket, I know you're not as interested this year because Arizona's not in it. And it's kind of weird them doing all the games in Indiana. Is it is Gonzaga a lock as you see it? No, absolutely not. No one's a lock in coming to the NCAA tournament. I think they're the team to beat. Uh, but I, I'm going to go with a wild card. I'm going to say Michigan wins it all this year. Michigan, Michigan, Jawan Howard, great story, and you know, alum coming back to his alma mater. I'm going to go. I'm going to take the Wolverines to win it all. Michigan. Well, <laughs> I am going with. Uh, I think Gonzaga is not a lock, but they're pretty darn close. Uh, and I think it's going to be an epic Final Four. I don't actually have Michigan as the as the only one seed. I don't have there. I'm going Gonzaga, Alabama, who's the two seed, and then Baylor, Illinois on the other side. And I like Illinois to uh, get to the championship game to, to face Baylor. And I do have a, a rooting interest because uh, my wife is uh, currently attending GCU as a doctorate, doctoral uh, candidate. So uh, go Lopes. Uh, Iowa's not a good matchup for, for them, but I do have a team in the NCAA tournament. So maybe we'll get another 15 over two upset. And you know what? GCU fans have always been great towards U of A. They, uh, a few years ago, there was a game up at uh, Talking Stick Resort Arena. Texas up in Central. Fi- yep, yep, that's right. And and they were cheering on, uh, before their game, they were cheering on our Wildcats. It, they were great. So there's a great synergy between Wildcats and Lopes fans. So go GCU, pull that shocker. You know, Bryce Drew's done some, made some magic in the tournament. Why right. not again? So uh, we want to thank our guests, obviously, Sam Thomas. Great to talk to her once again. And Heath Bray, who is an epic storyteller. And we will have more football and possibly another gigantic Wildcat guest on next week's episode. We'll keep throw that teaser out there. For my co-host, Shane Dale, I'm Eric Cohen. Thanks for downloading. And as always, bear down. <laughs>